Uh, how many of you guys remember, and maybe you still have to do it, I don't know, like where you have to compare and contrast something in school, right? Like what are some things they might make you compare and contrast? A book and the movie version of it, right? Yeah, I'm totally doing that in my mind because I'm going through Harry Potter right now. I'm not going to talk about it again because it's come up in like the last four sermons. I'm going to leave it be. But last night I watched the movie and I'm like, this was different than the book, et cetera, et cetera. What else would they make you compare and contrast? Two different stories, okay, what's similar and what's different? What else? Yes. What? You and a friend, right? People. You might have to compare and contrast two different people. Sometimes it's characters within a story, right? And so tonight, that's kind of what we're going to do a little bit. Uh, we're going to look at uh, the, uh, two characters in the book of Esther, and we're going to kind of compare and contrast them. Now, I want to give you a little background on Esther. If you don't know Esther, uh, the book is in the Old Testament. And we do have the, the chapter on the, on the YouVersion Live, so if you want to go there, you can find it there. But Esther was a young Jewish girl, but the Jewish people were in captivity in Babylon. And so they are in captivity, and she actually has two names. Her Hebrew name was Hadassah, but her, her biblical name was Esther, or her Persian name, I'm sorry, was Esther. And so she kind of has two different identities going on here. Um, you know, people are, she's also the queen, which we're going to get to in a second, but she becomes the queen of Persia. And so uh, she has kind of two different identities happening here. She's got her Jewish identity as a child of God, as one of God's chosen people. And then she has her, her queen of Persia identity, right? And so she kind of has to choose which way she's going to go because the Persian law was very different from the Jewish law. And so there were times when she had to choose which one she was going to follow and these kind of things. And so she was very much uh, in, in limbo at times. Now, in our story, we have four people, okay? We have four people here. First, we have Esther. We've already talked about her. We have Xerxes. Xerxes is the king of Persia, and he is not a good dude. Okay, he's a bad guy. Um, the story of how she became queen involves him being a bad guy to the previous queen. He's just kind of a jerk in general, does not love God. And, and so that's what you need to know about Xerxes. He's, he's a pretty bad dude. We also have Haman. And Haman is like the vice president to Xerxes, basically. Okay, that's pretty much Haman's job is he is the vice president. All right. And then we have Mordecai. Mordecai is Esther's adopted father. Uh, he's also her, he's an older cousin of hers. Her parents were killed, so he like adopted her. So he's raised Esther from when she was pretty young. Now, so that's our four characters. We got Xerxes and Esther, the king and the queen. We got Haman, who's the vice president, and we got Mordecai. Now, here's the story. We're in Esther chapter 5. Uh, some of the important verses are going to be on the screen, but I'm not going to lay down. They're not all going to be up there. I'm just going to tell you guys the story. So Haman had laid down a decree. He had made a law, basically, that when he walked by, you had to bow to him. You had to bow down in honor of this Haman guy. Well, Mordecai, he loves God. He's a devout Jew, and so he refuses to do it. He's just not going to worship this other dude, uh, somewhat similar to uh, the, th the three guys in, the, in, the, in the, the fire, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Same kind of thing. Hey, the law says you've got to bow down to this dude, but he's just refusing to do it. And Mordecai is getting some enjoyment out of this, and if you read through the text, you kind of see it, because 
Uh, he really likes to do it because it just bugs Haman. And Haman's just kind of an unlikable guy, I guess. And so you ever do something just to bug somebody? Be honest. If you have a sibling, your hand needs to be up because all of us with siblings have done something at some point or another just to bother the other person, right? No real malicious intent. We just want to see how far we can go before they actually take a swing, right? So that's pretty much where Mordecai's at. He's, he's really enjoying making Haman really mad and pushing his buttons. So Haman decides, I'm going to punish Mordecai. I'm going to get Mordecai back for doing this. And he says, I'm not only going to punish Mordecai. He says, I'm going to kill Mordecai, right, which seems extreme, but, th- but that's how Haman rolled. And not only am I going to kill Mordecai, I'm going to kill all the Jewish people. Now, it is messed up. You're right. That's super messed up. And, and so, but what he doesn't know and what the king doesn't even know, they don't know that Esther, the queen, is Jewish. Somehow, I don't know how you become queen without them knowing that, but somehow in the, I really think it was basically they were like, hey, she's pretty, she should be queen, and they made her queen. I mean, that's a summarization of it. Um, That's a real shortened version, but really it talks about how her looks were a big part of it. That's how, you know, that's how they picked the queen back then. So so he makes this law. He says, I'm going to kill all the Jews, but he doesn't realize that also means the queen. Now, Esther hears about this, okay? Obviously, she finds out about the law. And again, she's like, well, this isn't good. That's me. And my adopted father, Mordecai, like, this is bad. And so she decides, I'm going to say something to the king about this. But you got to understand, in that time, you didn't just go in and talk to the king. You you couldn't just, like, walk up and be like, hey, i got a question for you. It's kind of like today. It's really hard to see the president. Like, there's lots of background checks and stuff. Even to, like, take a tour of the White House, it's really hard to do, let alone to actually see and or talk to the president. It's pretty difficult. And it was like that. Only in that day, if you went in there, even the queen, if she went into the courtroom or whatever, the room where the king was, and the king didn't want to see her and he, like, got mad, she could die. Like, he could just be like, I I didn't ask for you to come. Go, somebody kill her. Like, really, that's that's what would basically happen. And so... So as the queen, she didn't see the king very much. It wasn't like a real comfortable relationship. They didn't see each other very often at all. So that's where she's at. She's in this place where she says, I I, want to save my people. I don't want to die. But if I go into the king's court, he can kill me. So basically what it is, the king's got his scepter, which, you know, the thing. And so if he enters her or if, if she enters the king's court without, and he lowers his center, she's okay. Scepter. She lowers his scepter, she's okay. But if he keeps it up, she's dead. So she decides, I'm going to go do this. Now, we're going to start in verse 1 of Esther chapter 5, and I'm going to read verses 1, and then I'm going to skip to verse 4 uh, just to, to get to this point. So Esther chapter 5, verse one. Nope, that's Ruth. There's Esther. Five, verse one. It says, on the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall facing the entrance. What is the first thing she does? No, it says right up there. What's the first thing it says she did? She put on her royal robes. So she didn't just come and like 
her jeans and a t-shirt, whatever she was wearing around the house, right? She didn't just come in her house robe. That'd be weird. She basically, she puts on her dress clothes, right? She puts on her dress clothes to come see the king. Then in verse 4, it says, If it pleases the king, replied Esther, let the king together with Haman come today to a banquet I have prepared for him. So she's really polite to him, right? She doesn't say, hey, you should come over, Netflix and chill. She says, if it pleases the king, listen, if it's okay with you, king, why don't you come over and I'll serve you dinner? Okay, so she dresses up and then she's really polite. Here's what I noticed about this. She is really respectful to the king, even though he absolutely does not deserve it. If you read the first few chapters of Esther, you see how the king is a huge jerk. He's really mean to the queen before her. He is not a good dude like we talked about. And so he does not really deserve, based on his actions, to get any respect from her. But she gives it to him anyways. And I hear you guys, and I, or I hear students, not all of you guys, but some of y'all, complain about teachers. And I know. Trust me, there are teachers that are genuinely just like in a bad mood all the time. I know that. They exist. But here's the thing. When you approach somebody, even somebody who doesn't deserve it, with respect, you're a lot more likely to get what you want. Okay? Y'all have heard, or some of y'all have heard my stories about getting pulled over. I get pulled over about twice a year for speeding. Um, I'm always guilty. I'm always speeding. But I get out of a bunch of tickets, Like, since I moved here four and a half years ago, I was going to camp. I got one by myself. I got out of that one. I was coming back from Lubbock for a concert. Got out of that one. I'm about to tell you how I got out of them. Uh, There was another one. Coming back from Midland with students in the car. Draven and Kelsey were in the car with me. Got out of that one. On the way to Fine Arts a few years ago, in the church van, got out of that one. Thank goodness our church van does not have the name of the church on the side of it. <laughs> but do you remember that one, Amanda? You were in there, or were you in there for that one? Yeah. I, that's it. And here's the thing. Here's how I got out of all those tickets, and this is the truth. This, I, I promise this is the truth. They come up and they're like, do you know how fast you're going? And I'm like, yes, sir. And they don't expect that. They expect you to be like, oh, I just looked away from the speedometer, and I didn't notice. I'm always like, yep, I knew how fast I was going. And then when they I don't say, yep, I say, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. And then when they say, well, why are we going so fast? I'm just stupid honest with them. One time in Arizona, I got pulled over. It was like 3 in the morning. I'm driving home from work. I was working this job where I worked from 5 p.m. to 3 a.m. over the summer. And I empty road, like eight lanes, nobody on this road. So I'm cruising 10 or 15 over the limit. And, uh, and, and I see the cop up there, right? I see him up there. So I slow down under the limit, pass him by, wait till he's almost out of sight, and I speed back up. Mile later, woo, I see the lights on behind me. And I'm like, man, thought I got by him. So, so he comes up. He asks where I'm going. I said, I'm going home. I was working at this grocery store 5 p.m. to 3 a.m. Trying to go home and get some sleep, which is a great reason. If you get put over late at night, I got to get up early tomorrow. I'm trying to home get to sleep, which is usually the truth for me, too. And so this, this cop pulls me over, and, you know, I, I tell him the spiel, and he goes, he says, didn't you see me over there? And I said, yes, sir, that's why I slowed down when I passed you. And I got out of that ticket, too. Here's what I'm telling you. That's a fact. That happened. Here's the point. When you are polite and you're respectful to people, you are much more likely to get what you want. Not every time. I still get a few tickets. I got a ticket on New Year's Day, coming home from the movies. Like, I, and, I, you know, you still sometimes get 
get what you have coming to you. The consequences still come. But if you, but if you are respectful, like Esther sets the example here, she did not have to do that. She could have been rude because he deserved it. He's not a good dude. But she comes to him with respect, and she invites the king and Haman to dinner. Then when they're at dinner, and I don't have this verse up there, but when they're at dinner, she says, hey, why don't you guys come back again tomorrow for dinner? And they're like, sweet, more good food. We'll come. So they come back uh, the next day, and she then tells them their request. After she's rebuilding relationships. See, she didn't have much of a relationship with the king, but uh, she built some relationship before asking him for something. Okay? And so that's just a little bit of good life advice for you guys that, you know, and you can't just wait until, like I've seen some of y'all, especially you young ladies, I'm not picking on you, but I've seen you, daddy, right, with the eye, the puppy dog eyes, y'all have that thing that you do. <laughs> Man, Shaylee, everybody just threw you under the bus, didn't they? <laughs> I have seen you do it too, yes. Uh, but... Shaylee and her dad have an awesome relationship. And so he knows that she's not just trying to suck up to get something. Like, they legitimately have a really good relationship. And so when we build a relationship with people, uh, things work better. So at this point, and, and so she, she comes to the king and she says, Listen, I know Haman has this law. He's going to kill all the Jews. But I'm a Jew, and I don't want you to kill us all. That's basically what she says. At this point, she is living in the identity that God had created for her. See, God, yes, she is the, the, the queen of Persia. She is an orphan. She is the adopted daughter of Mordecai. Those explain her, but her identity, the thing that defines her at this point, is child of God, and she is going to do what God calls her to do within that identity. And that means, you know what? I might die. I might get killed. The king has every right to do that. But I'm, she said, I'm going to live in this identity, and I'm going to... Ask the king for this. See, when we meet Jesus, we get that new identity, right? We've talked, that's what we've been talking about for the last two weeks. Uh, we talked about getting a new name, and last week we talked about who gets to name you. And when we get those things, we no longer have to define ourselves by the things of this world. And there's nothing wrong with, you know, when people say, hey, what school do you go to? Yeah, I go to Permian, or I go to Bonham, or whatever your school is. Um, you know, our grades sometimes define us, our our friends, the way we look, our, our extracurriculars, all those things describe us, but when those become our defining thing, we're out of order. And so we get to define ourselves as children of the God who loves us, who cares for us, and who looks after us, even when we don't always deserve it. Now, Haman, on the other hand, let's talk about Haman. This is chap chapter 5, verses 9 through 14. In verse 9, it says, Haman went out that day happy and in high spirits. But when he saw Mordecai at the king's gate and observed that he neither rose nor showed fear in his presence, he was filled with rage against Mordecai. So happy went out that day, or happy. Mordecai went out that day happy and in high spirits. Why? He's just got invited to dinner with the king and the king and the queen. That doesn't happen every day even for the vice president in this time and day, right? It's not that normal. Think about it. If the queen doesn't see the king very often, how often do you think the vice president does? Probably also not very often, 
Okay, so this is a big deal for him to get invited to dinner with the king and queen. If you could spend an hour with any person in the world, who would it be? So a human. A human. If your aunt, okay, which that's a bigger deal because her aunt lives in Morocco, so that's like not a small thing. Who? So, somebody give me an answer. This is not rhetorical. One Direction. Okay. Huh? T. Swizzle, Taylor Swift, all right. Taylor Swift, who? Colonel Sanders, all right. Kevin Durant, all right. So, yeah, this is that kind of thing. Like, this is, man, getting to invited to dinner with the king and queen is like if that person called you and said, hey, do you want to hang out for an hour tomorrow? That's basically what happened here. So, so he's excited about it. Right if that happened to you, first thing you would do would be like be on Twitter telling, telling everybody, I'm having dinner with Kevin Durant next tomorrow night, right? So, so he's all fired up. But then he gets to Mordecai and he sees Mordecai. And what happens? He is filled with rage because he is allowing Mordecai to control his emotions. Right? He's, he, he, just seeing Mordecai is enough to get him mad which means that Mordecai has total control over Haman at this point. And the reason being because that is Haman's identity. Haman's identity is in what other people think about him and the way other people respect him or at least fear him, the way they react to him. He's not, he even in verse 10 and 12, he start, or 10 to 12, he starts bragging to his wife and the friends. He's like, hey, guess who I'm going to dinner with tomorrow? Having dinner with the king and the queen tomorrow because he needs their validation. He needs them to react in a positive way. That is where his identity is. He needs the people around him to like him, to respect him, and to fear him. So he starts trying to get them to do that by, by, by telling them what's going to happen. But he even says in verse 13, he says, I'm, or in verse 12, he says, I'm the only person the queen invited along with the king. It's just the three of us. But then in verse 13, he says, but all this gives me no satisfaction as long as I see that Jew Mordecai sitting at the king's gate. So he even admits there is nothing that makes me satisfied, that makes me happy, as long as that guy is sitting there at the king's gate annoying me. Haman's idol is power, right? He wants prestige. He wants recognition, he wants respect and control. He wants people to like him, and if he can't have that, he wants them to fear him. That is the thing that he has put on a pedestal that he has decided he wants more than anything. And listen, there's nothing wrong with being liked or respected, okay? There's not, but, and appreciating those things. But when we let those things get in front of our identity as God's child, which we've been talking about for the last few weeks, our identity gets warped, and when you idolize one thing, you demonize everything else. We see this right now. Good Lord, don't, want, don't ever watch CNN or, or anything. Don't watch TV for the next eight months because it's only going to get worse. Because these political people, they turn everybody who's not them into, like, the devil, right? And, 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 and that's the thing. When we put one person up on a pedestal, we put one person or thing in front of everything else, everything else becomes really bad. And that's not necessarily the case. Now, you got to know that in the end of this story, like if you skipped on to the rest of the book of Esther, uh, the king agrees he does not kill all the Jews. 
And in the end, Haman gets killed. Like, he had built a, a pole that they were going to hang Mordecai from, and Haman ends up dead on it instead of Mordecai. So it, it turns around pretty bad on him. He ends up dead uh, instead of Mordecai and all the Jews because Esther walked in God's plan and in God's identity for her. And that always comes, that is always better than putting an idol first. And when I say an idol, you got to understand, I don't mean like a physical little golden thing you put in your house and you bow down to it. Uh, an idol is anything that you put in front of God, anything that you put in front of your relationship with God and your identity as a child of God. So sometimes we do that with our school, and there's nothing wrong with school. I want, I, I want you guys to do well, okay? But, but sometimes we put not just doing well, but we put the fact that I go to this school, that becomes more important than anything else. Sometimes it's... Uh, Again, like we talked about earlier, our sport or our extracurricular or our grades or our whatever it might be, those things sometimes get in the way of our relationship. They're the things that are in between us and God, and they're warping our view of him. When we walk in our God-given identity, we live as God planned for us to, and we are fulfilled in his plan. It's worth saying again, when we walk in our God-given identity, we are living as God planned for us to, and we are fulfilled in his plan. Here's what I want you guys to ask yourself tonight. Is, yes, okay, the last two weeks we talked about getting a new name. We talked about who gets to name us. But are you now living in that uh, on a day-to-day level? Because it's, it's one thing to come in here and, and throw away your old name like we did last week. It's one thing to come in here and and to say that or accept that in here, but if it doesn't come into our daily lives, then we've then it hasn't done any good. You just came in here and you heard me talk for a while and then you left and nothing really changed. But what I want for you guys to do, I want you to close your eyes and bow your head. I want you to just think for a minute. I want you to ask yourself the question, am I really walking in that identity as a child of God? Do my Action. So the way I treat my coworkers or my coworkers, my, my schoolmates, my classmates, my friends, my teachers, does that reflect my identity as a God follower? Or do I just look like everybody else? Because we are called not to be Jesus, but to reflect Jesus, to be a mirror so that people can see Jesus. And and when we're walking in that identity, People will see that. But if we're not, then they don't. They see just another person. So right now you're thinking of that thing or you're thinking of whether or not you are. And if not, what is the thing that's in your way? What is the thing that you're, you're putting ahead of your identity? And I'm going to pray for all of us. And then we'll... Uh, We'll end our night out. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for who you are. Lord, I start many of my prayers out that way, but it's, it's the thing that I'm the most grateful for, that you loved us when we didn't deserve it, that you chose to give your life up for us when we had not earned that. We deserved the opportunity to pay for our own sins, but you said, you know what, I'll do it instead. And so, God, we thank you for that. Lord, I pray for every student in here, 
Lord, that their identity as a follower of Christ, that their identity as a child of God would be what is seen around them, that you would bring to their mind right now specific instances where you say, you know what, at that moment I wasn't reflecting Jesus. At that moment I didn't look like a child of God. And not for condemnation, Lord, but so that you can remove those moments and you can... uh, Help us to look more like you day by day, Lord, in classrooms, in hallways, at, at meals, with our, at home with our family, God. Lord, that you would help us change and be more like you, God, in everything that we do. God, that the people around us would see you in us. I pray that you would... Help us remove those things, Lord. You would help us focus more on you through the word, God, through prayer. Lord, that we would put our eyes on you. We would fix our eyes on you. You're the author and perfecter of our faith, God. And so it's not just a one-time salvation say a prayer thing, God, but you are continually perfecting our faith and continually working on us and molding us to make us more like you. God, I just pray that we as a group and we individually would look like you to those around us. Lord, that you would just make us in your image. Form us in your image, God. Lord, we love you and we thank you for who you are again, God. It's in your name we pray. Amen.